couple of weeks ago, we went to Halifax, had a little um, family trip, we called it, not vacation, family trip. When you have young kids, that's what it is. <clears throat> and I was excited to be able to just go to church somewhere on Sunday where I'm not preaching or leading a service or anything, to, to just go and experience church. So we went to uh, the church pastored by a friend of mine called Deep Water in, in the Dartmouth area. And as we came and sat down, we found out that the sermon that day was going to be about giving. And your immediate reaction when you're like, oh, we're talking about money today, is like, I don't go here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, maybe this one doesn't count for me. But the way that their pastor, AJ, started off the sermon was so compelling to me. I, I'm... I'm borrowing this from him this morning, okay? So what I'm talking about, this first bit is directly from him because I thought it was so good. He said that when we often think about the idea of giving at church, we think of it three ways, okay? And he said, tip in, chip in, and write off. Tipping, chipping, and a write off. Sometimes our, our, our way of thinking about giving at church is like, all right, pastor, that was a pretty good sermon. So three extra dollars in the plate. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'll, uh, I'll add a few extra dollars in this week because I, you know, I felt that was really what we needed today. Or on the other side of things, like, didn't get anything from it. I'm taking money out of the plate this time. You know what I mean? Like, tipping as a way of thinking about giving in the church. The second way, he said, was the idea of chip in, tip in and chip in, where like, listen, there's costs associated with running this place and the ministry we do, so if you kind of divide up the cost between the people who attend, you know, we just kind of have a share that we all chip in to make it happen. And the third way he talked about was the write-off of like, do you guys know we can get tax receipts for this? <laughs> like, you know, like, if, if you give money to a charity, you can get tax money back at the end of the year when it comes when your tax bill comes. And it almost seems like a bit of like a like free money that I can give away and get back and, and all of those kinds of things. Listen, we're going to be talking about money and generosity and giving today as part of our series Entrusted, where we're talking about the fact that everything belongs to God and he's entrusted the things that we have to us. And our job is to be stewards of those things, to, to take responsibility and to use those things that belong to God for God's glory. And we've talked about things like using our stories for God's glory, of, of receiving the gospel and, and to steward that and share it for God's glory. We talked last week about our families are given to us by God and, and we're called to live in those relationships to the glory of God. And so today, we're going to be talking about being stewards of God's money, to be entrusted with the money that we have. And this can be an uncomfortable conversation. Like already, for some of you, the minute you saw that video had something to do with generosity, you were just like, ah, shouldn't come today. And part of the, the discomfort with this conversation, I think, are two things. One, the fact that, that the church has either not talked enough about it or has talked about it so poorly. 
And, and I'll, I'll admit here uh, an error on, on my part, a fault, where this might be the second or third time I've ever talked about this in my six and a half, seven years of being here. So that's, that's on my end, to not have strong, good teaching about this. But also, the church in a lot of ways, a lot of traditions, a lot of loud, influential voices have abused the way they talk about money for selfish gain. The whole like prosperity gospel movement, the whole like, I'm going to bless this hanky and send me $1,000 and I'm going to heal your legs kind of thing, has, has been brutal and has taken advantage of people to the point where like people distrust the church when it comes to money because of the charlatans like that out there. And I don't know how many conversations I've had with people where they talk about, well, all the church wants is your money. They just want you to come and show up and give money. Another reason why this conversation is uncomfortable is because money holds a personal and deep, unhealthy place of value in our life. We find a whole lot of value and identity and it's very personal to us and the minute we put our finger on it we squirm a little bit and so part of our conversation today is my prayer is for those of us who need the spirit to kind of comfort us in this area the spirit would be the comfort and for those of us who need the holy spirit to step on our toes a little bit in this conversation the holy spirit would step on our toes and I'll let the Holy Spirit do that work. And I'm going to faithfully try to speak this morning. This morning as we talk about being entrusted with money, being stewards of it, we're going to look at it in three ways, as you see up here on the slide. First, we're going to talk about money's unique grip on us. We're going to talk about Jesus' teaching and solution to the fact that money holds a grip on us. And then we're going to wrap up with talking about giving and the church. Back in the early 90s, the great Canadian philosopher Stephen Page and Ed Robertson said that if only they had a million dollars, they would buy you a house or some furniture, a good reliant automobile, a K-car, a green dress, but not a real green dress because that's cruel. I'd buy a whole lot of craft dinner with some fancy Dijon ketchup and I'd buy your love. Uh, we were talking last night how that song, like a million dollars probably isn't like what it used to be back in 1992 when that song came out. So I looked it up this morning, $1.8 million. Probably about the equivalent to that with inflation. But that fun, singable, bare-naked ladies song, like that resonates, that's like a, a piece of Canadiana culture right there and resonates with us, I think because it speaks to a little bit of the longing we all have. It speaks to a part of the human soul that's like, you know, if only I had this, man, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be a bit happier. If only I had a bit more, I'd be able to do these things, or this is the fun that I'd be able to get into, or these are the ways that I'd be able to, to buy crazy things like the skeleton of a man who had been like all these weird exotic animals in the song but it's funny to laugh at the song 
But the sentiment of if I just had more, look how happy I'd be, is actually something dark deep down within us. If only I had more, look how happy I would be. See, we live in a society where we view money actually as our savior. We use the phrase the almighty dollar, right? And, and we put so much weight in what money can provide for us because, because we attach so many things to it. Like, we think of having enough money, we, it gives us a sense of security. To have enough money means we have a sense of comfort. We, we have a sense of freedom. I can do what I want if I have enough money. We place a value on ourselves or others based on how much money we have or we make. Like, how often the question of, oh, what do you do for a living, is actually more of like a prying of like, let me gauge a bit of what you're probably making so I understand where to size myself up next to you. We place our sense of power in the amount of money that we have. I can do things or have influence because of the wealth that I've built. This leads us to pursue money as the purpose of our life. That if money is going to satisfy the deepest, innermost needs of my life, then I will live my life chasing after money. Jesus actually talked about this. This is, this is part of his teaching. He actually talked about money a lot, which, which sometimes we gloss over. We're like, just focus on the spiritual things, Jesus. But there's actually some very real, important, tangible things that Jesus tells us when it comes to money. This is from his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to read through this and we'll, we'll talk a bit about it. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a line for us to think about. The eye is the lamp of the body, he continues. If our eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. We'll unpack that in a bit. Then he goes on to say right after, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus in this passage, he gives us a choice. We can either chase money as the purpose of our lives and try to find our hope in that and what it'll give us, or we can choose to serve God. Like for him, it's actually a one or the other. Not something that we try to hold in tension. For Jesus, a life lived pursuing money as our primary goal is a life of idolatry. And idolatry is a religious word that we use that just means when we treat things the way that we're only meant to treat God. And ultimately we find up that they come ultimately we find they come up empty. We find that it actually 
doesn't satisfy. And Jesus gives a few reasons in this passage of, of why it comes up empty. He starts out like, if you keep living your life just to accumulate things and wealth, it's like they're going to rust and they're going to fade away or they're going to get stolen. These things are temporary. It's like invest in what's eternal. If I know anything about buying cars, is that for some reason on PEI, they just rust so bad. And as much as I would love a Porsche, to own a Porsche on PEI, it'll probably rust before I even get it undercoated. The things that we pursue to try to accumulate is temporary. And Jesus says there are more eternal, important things for us to pursue with our lives. He also says that in pursuing money, the rest of our lives will be affected by our pursuit of money. That whole passage about the, the eye is the lamp of the body, almost this like cryptic language. Uh, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Think of it like this. If my eyes are set on my goal, the rest of my body, the rest of me is pursuing that as well and is, is following suit. So if my eyes are set on pursuing wealth, everything about me is going to be affected by that goal. My relationships with others, the way I value and see other people, the way I see my time as, as money rather than something to be stewarded and given. If my ultimate goal is just the pursuit of wealth, other things in my life are going to have to either be cut off or to be twisted in order to pursue that goal. Paul, Jesus's, um, one of Jesus' early followers who spread the news about Jesus throughout the Roman Empire during the first century, he wrote a letter to Timothy, one of his protégés, and he said this, and I think this is really helpful, in this, this tension we feel of trying to be able to balance both serving God and serving money, he says this, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Those are heavy words. For Paul, to pursue wealth is actually going to stimulate and drive us down some dark paths where the darkness in our heart gets amplified and we end up hurting ourselves. His antidote is contentment. Jesus also speaks about it. If money is a major temptation for us, if that's what we're trying to find our hope in, if that's what's going to flare up our destructive desires, if that is knowingly or unknowingly becoming the God in our life, Jesus offers us a way to follow. 
to walk towards him and away from money as our God. And that's shown in an encounter he has with a rich young man. We have this story in the Gospels where this this rich young guy comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response to him is, is, obey the commands. And he says, well, I have, you know, I've, I've honored my father and mother and I've observed the Sabbath. And like he goes through most of the Ten Commandments and says, I've lived a good life. This stuff, this stuff comes pretty easy to me. And then it goes on. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And said, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. It says, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Now, is Jesus asking us all to have giant yard sales next weekend, sell every single one of our possessions, and donate it all to the Southern Kings and Queens Food Bank? No. But what Jesus is doing for this man is saying, listen, I I know what your, your issue is. I know what's really God in your life. And in order to be freed from that trap, you're going to need to give away your wealth because wealth is your God. The antidote to enslavement to wealth is to give it away. There are some things that might come easy for us. For this man, these commandments, he said, listen, I've been following them all the days of my life. But when Jesus lovingly points out the real heart issue in him, that's where it hurts. That's where it gets hard. That's where we see this, this test of faith of of are you going to follow me or are you going to follow something else? Are you going to serve God or money? And so I think the same principle applies for us, that if money is an idol in our life, a solution is to give it away. A solution is to give it away, to let faith take action and that action be used by the Holy Spirit that in our giving the Spirit actually frees us from this sense of I need to hold on to my money for me as my hope is in that wealth. We talk about it most times that we take up the offering. That it's, it's a spiritual discipline, if I can use more religious language. Meaning that in this act, God is actually shaping us. In this act, God is shaping us. And how, this, is, this is how this, this has gotten played out throughout, throughout the history of, of the storyline of the Bible. That God has, has asked his people to give. Specifically in like the Old Testament with ancient Israel, they would give uh, a significant amount of what they had to widows and orphans, those who economically couldn't provide for themselves in their time and place. And to provide 
for the temple and the Levites who didn't have land to be able to glean harvests and make a living, whose, whose responsibility was for the temple and the upkeep of the temple. That's what the Old Testament looked like. In, in the early church, in the New Testament, we read things like the followers of Jesus provided relief support for famines and what was going, around, going on in the, the parts of the Roman Empire. That they were providing for the needs of those within their community who, who needed things. That they were supporting the ministry of those who were going and spreading the gospel of Jesus throughout the known world at the time. Part of our response as followers of Jesus, as people of faith, is to use our money and give it away to the things that God calls us to. Which leads us to talking about giving in the church. We talk about giving as a spiritual discipline. We've talked about giving as an act of worship. Uh, I love how um, Matt, in the first sermon in this series, talked about how when we give things to God, we're like a kid who, who we give them $50 for our birthday to buy us a birthday present. Like, it's actually our money. Like, we're, we're not receiving, like, anything monetarily extra. But there is something in the act of our child wanting to give us a gift that's beautiful and that they get to be a part of with us. And we love and appreciate uh, that relationship. As we give as an act of worship, as we give money to God, whether that is through the church or providing for the poor or uh, the work of, of ministry around the world, we're doing that as an act of worship or we're called to do it as an act of worship. Now, these are kind of like the ideals and, and what my desire is for us to see giving as, as an act of worship and as a spiritual discipline. But if you've spent any time around church and around just the, the finance side of things and business and you've been to enough like Baptist business meetings where the budget's presented and, and nobody loves it, I, I want us to clarify what giving is not. If it's an act of worship and it's a spiritual discipline, what is it not? When we give, we're not paying God back. We're not saying, God, you gave me this stuff, so like, I, I guess I owe you this. I owe you giving you back the things that you've given me. That I'm paying you back for the good things you've done for me, uh, you know, there was a parking spot right where I needed it. Five extra bucks in the plate. You know what I mean? Be an easy fundraiser that's not a good motivation for giving. We're also not giving to get something. Like there are, there are passages in, in the scriptures that talk about, you know, those who sow and reap and, and things like that. But our motivation for giving isn't, God, I'm going to give you this much money this week, trusting that you're going to give me the promotion that I want at work. That's not our motivation for giving. That's a destructive way. That's a, a, a very... That is how the ancient civilizations around the Israelites would sacrifice to their gods. I'll make a sacrifice so you'll provide what I need. God instead invites us to give in response to His generosity, not to get something. 
When we give, it's not a payment for our sins. It's not a swear jar. It's not a, I was out late Saturday night and on the town and got into all kinds of stuff, $1,500. That's not what it's about. It's not a penance of we come to God and now God's response is, all right, now you've got to give this much money on a regular basis in order to pay for your sins. Our sins are paid for by the blood of Christ. No dollar figure is attached to that. And it's something that I don't want any of us to feel this weird, guilted, peer pressure thing about. We purposefully always do offering before the sermon, and especially today. Because, but honestly though, like the last thing that I want is for us to have a sermon about giving and that's for us to conclude like, all right, now we're passing the plate. Because in that moment, I feel gross. I feel gross because I've used a platform and the word of God to then emotionally manipulate you into giving more money. Like that is not what this is about. My desire for us is to have a healthy and good and biblical motivation and response in terms of what giving is. I'm not trying. There have been too many ways where people have used the word of God to manipulate people into giving them more money. That is not my heart. It's not Paul's heart. It's not Jesus' heart. It's not what's taught in the New Testament of the Bible. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, he says this. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. He says, but God loves a cheerful giver. So when you give, give as an act of worship. Give in a way that's cheerful. Give it not in some compulsion. And listen, like I don't know what anyone gives in this room. That's not my role or my job, and I'm purposefully distanced from that. So that when I look at you, I don't see, oh, so-and-so, like envelope number this and this, give this much money last week here. Like you don't have dollar signs over your heads. You are people worshiping God through your giving. And that's my prayer for us in our understanding. You might be like, okay, Tyler, but, but what are we talking here? Like, how much should I be giving the church? What, like, let's, let's get practical here, right? Just, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. These, there, there are two stories in the New Testament in Jesus' life that I think are, are very helpful for us to, to be reminded of. First of all, we need to know that all of our money is God's. All of it is given to us by God. And the story we, we talked about with the rich young, uh, the rich young man who got, Jesus says to, to give everything he has and give it to the poor is this posture of everything you have is God. Everything should be used for God's glory. 
So whatever that looks like in terms of our giving, it also has implications for like our budgeting and our investing and how we like manage our finances as a whole. Because regardless of what we give away, even the other stuff that remains in our bank accounts or in savings or budget, like that's still God's. And so we're still stewarding that for God's glory. Jesus tells the rich young ruler to give everything away. But there's also a story where there's a poor widow who comes into the temple. And you may remember the story of like she comes in and she, she puts two like pennies in, in the, the, the offering chest. And Jesus says he's given more than anyone else here. And we often read that story as like, look at this woman who is willing to give everything she had to God. That's actually not what that story's about. Because right after that, Jesus berates the religious leaders for devouring the households of widows rather than caring for them. So this man where, the, the rich man where, where money was his idol, Jesus is telling him to give it all up. The widow who ended giving it all up because of the expectations and religious pressures of those around her was not called to give it all up. What about tithing? If you've been around church for any amount of time, the word tithing maybe for you is synonymous with giving or offering or that kind of thing. And it comes from an Old Testament practice that God had the Israelites give 10% of what they had to the temple or to the widow or to those kind of things. To give 10% of your income, essentially. What I think is important for us to grasp about this idea of tithing is, one, it's part of an Old Covenant law that we're no longer bound to. So, we are not bound by a law that we are to give 10% of our income. However, I think it is a helpful principle for us to understand, whether it's a ballpark for us, or whether for us it's like a, I'm going to grow in my generosity to give to the point where it starts to actually hurt and, and affect things. For some of us, Tithing, the idea of like giving away 10% of what we have is, is scary or it feels like just some kind of law kind of thing. And you need to hear this morning from the Spirit that you're not bound by the Old Covenant law that you must tithe. God loves a cheerful giver to give not under compulsion, but to decide in, what you're, in your heart what God is asking you to give. Some of you, you, you actually like the idea of having a goal. And, and for you to say, you know what, I, I, think, I think I could hit 10% and that might actually be a, a, a way for me to grow in a spiritual discipline. There are some of you that you've been using tithing as an excuse where you're like, God's actually calling me to give a lot more, but I've been using tithing as the ceiling. And I'll just let the Spirit speak that to who needs to hear it. Another thing about some Old Testament concepts of giving 
concepts we're not bound to, but are interesting principles for us to reflect on, is the idea that God called his people to give the first fruits of their offering. Meaning, it wasn't like, okay, we bring the harvest in, we store what we need to, we trade what we need to, and whatever's left is God's. But this idea of when the harvest comes, the first of the harvest is going to God, trusting that he's going to provide the rest that's to come. Sometimes we have a, a mentality, we fall into a scarcity mentality, kind of like the, the video was talking about, of I'm just going to do what's left over. When maybe what God is inviting us to is an act of worship of trust that I'm going to say this is what's God's, and I'm going to budget then around that, rather than to say God gets what's left over. If the Spirit is speaking to you in this, I'm going to trust Him to do that work. But I think it's important for us to be reminded that if we're in the process of dethroning idols in our hearts, it's not going to be a, a, a simple and painless process. Now, there may be ways where God is asking us to reconsider what it is that we're doing with our giving, whether it's to the church or whether there's this missionary couple that I know need support that I'm going to, to step up and provide for. Whether it's the neighbor that, that I know needs some ongoing help. But for us to be generous people so that money is not our God. Maybe we've grown too comfortable with our current places. I know for Haley and I, we're, we're talking through what does it look like in this next season of life for us to, to reevaluate and consider what giving looks like for us. Because if I'm honest, we've probably settled into a bit of a rut of like what's comfortable. Like this is what giving has looked like for us for the last, you know, however many months or years that it's easy when it's an a auto deposit from our bank account to not reconsider. Like what is it that God is actually asking us to give. Listen, if, if the Spirit has been soothing you this morning, I pray that you'd be soothed. If the Spirit's been stepping on your toes this morning, I pray that you'd receive that the way that He tends to. I want us all to be reminded that like Jesus looked at the rich young ruler, Jesus is looking at us with love. Even if He's confronting us. His desire is for us to be freed from guilt, freed from greed, freed from the hold that money can have on us and to live in the fullness of life that he has for us. His desire is for us to live with a contentment that everything we need is found in God. That my life can be fully his and he's going to give me what I need. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our provider. As we saw in, in the video even earlier, you are the greatest act of generosity, of you giving yourself for us. And God, as we work through this topic this morning, as we reflect on on what your word says and on how we're processing it. God, I, I pray that you would just, you would do the work in our hearts 
that you want to do. I pray that you would free us from a life where we're we're caught in the grips of serving money and to come to a place where we find everything we need in you. You're our hope. You're our provider. You're our king. Be worshipped in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.